Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. I often think that I walk a really fine line. I am pro-marriage, but this doesn't come from any particular belief that marriage is for everyone. I personally don't think that all marriages can be saved, nor do I think some of them should be. But I do think that people who decide to marry should have a better idea of what it is they're getting into. And I also believe that if they have children, they have a responsibility to try and make the marriage work, which is why I do this program. And it's why I invite guests to help guide couples to make their marriages healthier and happier. So I am so, so glad to have Belinda Lustom, a journalist and the author of Marriageology, that's a mouthful, The Art and Science of Staying Together on the show today. So Belinda, thank you so, so much for being on the show to talk about this topic and to talk about your book. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for having me, and please feel free to mangle that book's name. Everybody does. It's kind of a badge of courage for that book, Marriageology. It's just a difficult word to say. I've no idea why I chose it. It just sort of appealed to me at the time. But, but I like it because it's actually, I mean, if you break that down, it's the study of marriage, which I think people should understand that there, there are people out there who actually do study this. And so just kind of as a place to start, what prompted you to write this book? Well, I think you just nailed it. I have been writing about marriage, family, and sort of human relations now for about 10 years for Time magazine. And I did mm-hmm. a cover uh, in the sort of ninth, in the early 2000s and then another cover about 10 years later. And between, even just between those two covers, the sort of studies about marriage had changed quite a lot and a lot of new information had come out. And I was surprised, you know, as somebody who's been married for quite a a long time that I didn't know some of this stuff. I get sent probably every day I get sent um, you know three books and at least once a week I will get a book about parenting and at least once a week I will get a book about making yourself more happy, more authentic, more a real version of yourself and I don't get that many books about marriage and I certainly don't get books about marriage that are sort of you know easy to read, fun to read, not too long. So I Mm -hmm. thought you know Marriage is for a long time, but you don't want it to feel like homework. So a quick, fun book about marriage that gave you the latest research would be something that people could probably actually use. So what are some of the findings that you were actually kind of surprised about? Well, I think one of the... uh, one of the ones that really shocked me when I first looked into it was how much difference marriage makes to people's lives. That people who uh, find a way to stay married, and it has to be happily married. You can't be yeah, in absolutely. conflict the whole time. But, right. um, or at least, you know, tolerably happily married. I'm not yeah. saying, you know. Um, they, are, they are healthier. 
they live longer, they recover from all sorts of diseases better, uh, and they are generally, that's generally more applies to the men than the women, actually, and that the women end up being um, wealthier. They are just, divorce splitting up ha is so incredibly uh, corrosive to women's finances, often because they've taken time out to raise children, but not just for that reason. And so it, it, it really, one of the things that shocked me at first was how, um, how much it actually did improve your life. Someone has done a very long longitudinal study, I think it's 80 years and counting, um, out of Harvard, and they've looked wow. at, um, at men's lives. They started at, a, you know, mm -hmm. over several generations, and they found that the men who were healthiest when they were in their 80s were happiest with their marriages when they were 50. Like there's a, there's a total link. And the guy was asked, what is the, you know, what is the biggest takeaway from your study? And he's like this, that people who were <laughs> happily married at 50 are really, still really healthy at 80. And that kind of stuff, I don't think, um, you know, everybody talks about your pursuit of individual happiness, but they don't talk about, well, what actually is team happiness? How can you be great buddies? So that was one of the studies. And the second thing, if I can say too, was I was mm -hmm. really shocked at how robust the studies were on just really simple things like saying thank you to your spouse. This one was a revelation to me because it felt like to me uh -huh. like, you know, my husband, makes, my husband makes coffee in the morning while I make uh -huh. the bed, right? While right. I make the bed and then I make breakfast and then he, makes, he does most of the cooking but I do most of the cleaning and it's sort of a, it's a shared kind of group thing. We, we don't need to say thank you to each other. We know that we're grateful. But in fact, saying thank you to your spouse is incredibly, has a great effect on, on your relationship because A, um, your spouse feels that they're appreciated. They feel Absolutely. like they're not taken for granted. They feel like one of the big problems I'm sure you've come across is people feel like, well, I'm just her roommate. I don't really count. All she cares about is the kids or all he cares about is the car or his work. I'm just uh -huh. a fixture. So when, so when somebody is thanked, it's a way of saying, I notice you and I notice what you're doing and I appreciate it. Moreover, the thankee, the person who's doing the thanking, you know, they need to sort of go out of their way a little bit to look for things to thank for. And that's a really good way of teaching yourself not to take your spouse for granted. So it works on both sides of the team. Right, and that's really interesting because I think that, that heads or that um, dovetails with the whole emphasis on the importance of gratitude and how gratitude actually is linked to happiness. And so if you are expressing gratitude, thank you for doing this, you know, as often as you can, then that actually, I mean, there, there are correlations to that and, and a sense of happiness. So that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And what's more, uh, gratitude, what, uh, you know, we as humans, we are, you know, we're on this, what they call the hedonic treadmill, that, we, you know, we, we find it hard to be very happy about things for very long. You know, when, when uh -huh. we first get that splinter out of our finger, we're like, yes, finally. And then within 10 minutes, you're like, okay, what was, you know, you're back to being as grumpy as you were before. So we mm -hmm. can't stay happy. But when you practice gratitude and when you look for it and go, oh, wow, thank you, honey, for doing X then you realize how your life is actually a lot better. You, you, you have to take a moment to appreciate your life and not just, and not just get on this treadmill and, and, and ignore all the good things that are happening to you. Well, and, you know, and again, that, that makes perfect, perfect sense. 
Um, and it goes back to this to this concept that you were talking about about teen happiness because I mean, the the problem is is that we cannot stay in a state of happiness because then that just kind of resets the thermostat and that just becomes unnormal. Exactly. So what people don't understand is that there is this ebb and flow. And it's true about any relationship. It's especially true about marriage. I've been married a long time. You've been married a long time. If somebody said to me, you know, have you, have you been happy constantly during that time frame, I'd have to say no because there have been times when my husband and I have had disagreements or something external to, to ourselves is happening that's impacting our relationship. And, but, but if you work through that, I mean, I, and I don't know if you came across this particular study. Actually, I think you did, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later, is about this idea that if you work through those moments, those challenging moments, and come through on the other side, it, people are actually very satisfied with their relationship. But I don't want to get to that because I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I mean, one, one, of, the, one of the great studies that I did uh, look at was that people who, they, I, I, I'm not going to get exact figures right, but I think it was something like 60 couples, it may have been more, and they were all thinking about divorce. And uh, and they interviewed them five years later, and the ones uh-huh. who had got divorced were no happier than the ones who had not got divorced, and they were no happier than they were before they were divorced, and the ones who had stayed together were happy that they had not got divorced, but the problems they'd had at that time had not actually been solved. They just had learned to live with them. Well, and that's an interesting thing because I've said before on this show, um, and I believe it's John Gottman who's a it's big Gottman. leader yes. in, the, in the marriage research field, talks about that two-thirds of all disagreements between a couple will go unresolved. It's figuring out which are the one-third that actually have to be resolved and then figuring out a way, out a way to resolve them. But people get caught up in, you know, it's not okay just to agree to disagree. I mean, there, you know, I, I joke about my in-laws, and I always tell people I hit the in-law jackpot. And they, did, they ended up not agreeing politically, and every election they would cancel out each other's votes. And I'm not sure either one of them actually knew that's what they were doing, but they just kind of had agreed that we're just going to agree to disagree about this because it's okay to disagree. And I think that's one of the big things that people – think that, oh my gosh, if I disagree with my partner, it's the end of the world. So it's, it's like, it's, well, that's normal human behavior. I think um, that the book uh, um, breaks down the sort of challenges that pe- married people have into six F words. And uh, the first F word is familiarity, and that's the thing we were just talking about, how to have gratitude for somebody, mm-hmm. how to not let yourself feel contempt for them. Um, and the second one is the one you're talking about now, which is fighting. How do you it's, – it's unreasonable to think that you will share money – share a house, share the raising of children, share space, sometimes quite tight quarters, share mm-hmm. so much of your life with a person and agree with them 100% of the time. I mean, we can't even agree with people we, you know, we're sitting next to on the plane. So that's <laughs> four hours. So we, you know, exactly. we, can't agree, we can't agree with people that we're handing over, like, you know, the toll to. It's, it's on, the, in the, on the bridge. It's, it's or passing in a car. You know, so it's, it's, un, it's unreasonable to expect. And the, the way that, you, you know, the, the thing you have to work out when you're fighting is how do you have this conflict 
in a way that does not damage the other person's mm-hmm. um, feelings, does not damage your love for them, does not permanently damage your relationship. And there will be times when these fights, I think, can be quite vicious and fierce, yes. but you have to remember to attack the problem and not the person. Oh, and that is so important. So what are, what are the other four Fs? I'm so glad you asked. Um, the next... <laughs> The next F is uh, finances. How do you share uh, money with somebody? Which is, you know, I think people often underplay the importance of money in their lives. It's the one thing that's very existential. Your share, you know, if your partner steals all your money from you or spends it unwisely or or somehow takes away, the, you know, the things that you've earned, it, it is, it's terrifying. You feel like, well, I won't be able to live. How will I eat? How will I pay my mortgage? How will I pay my rent? How will I pay my car loan? How will I look after my children. It is the scariest thing, I think, in what, a marriage often is finance. And that's, and that's really interesting because I talk about you know, money, and money is never just the dollars and cents. It's what it stands for. Does it mean love? Does it mean security? Does it mean freedom? You're not talking about the dollars and cents. It, it's at a much more visceral level than that. So I, so I certainly see, I mean, and, and People say it's one of the two things that most couples fight about is money and sex. So. Oh, yeah. The studies show that people, you know, it's if you fight about money, the people who fight about money the most are the most likely to divorce. Yeah. So um, it's definitely a very difficult one. And how do you figure that out? And there's some of it that's just accounting, and some of it, yeah. you know, that some of it is, um, and some of it is family of origin. You know, what sort of oh, money yeah. situation did you come from? And though, and yeah. and yet nobody really before they get married sit down and go, well, you know, I'm a saver. I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, I want to spend my money on experiences. You know, they don't. People don't really have that discussion they, they don't vocalize yes, the, it it's considered the taboo. That, yes the things that people should talk about before they get married that's one of them and, and whether or not they want to have children is another one which still well that actually people. should be yeah, I don't I wouldn't understand ah. why anybody would get married or not do that so speaking of which that's the uh, I think we're up to the fourth F is family uh-huh. And one of the things that that has changed, I think, between, um, you know, our parents' generation and ours, and will certainly be even more true of the generation below us, is that we raise our children with much more intention and purpose. We almost curate them. It's a much more intensive process than it used to be. And sometimes, sometimes not always for the better, but that's oh, I think definitely not always for the better, but but almost almost impossible to not do it that way because everybody else around you is doing it that way because of this, you know, because of the uh, difference between the outcomes for kids who go to college and who don't go to college, for the way the economy has changed. There's so many reasons that we are fearful for our children and want to raise them. And also because, you know, social media has made uh, parenting and and some of the parenting books have made parenting a much more publicly judged activity. Like if people are poor parents, it's it's akin to being a Nazi. You know, it's very, it's it's a it's you know poor parenting is the worst so and that means that that's a much more high stress operation than it used to be and therefore more prone to fights and also there's a whole in-laws thing to consider so that's that's the fourth oh, yeah. the fifth uh, i think we're up to okay. the fourth f family and then the fifth one which this was not my original f word but it is fooling around so ah. how do you continue to crave 
the person who's there all the time? How do you desire that which doesn't ever go away? Like it seems to be the things that we uh, consider to be very attractive sexually, like, you know, uh, sort of danger and exotic and newness and strangeness are the opposite of the things we want in a spouse, which are sort of responsibility and permanency uh-huh. and constancy and, <laughs> and security, and reliability yeah. and security. So, you know, how do you walk that line? So that's and the last chapter is called Finding Help, which is, you know, ah. to speak to your we we you know, if I work for a, a big magazine, Time and if when when we don't quite when when you know the media business has been in a sort of a flux, and what Time and other magazine companies have done is brought in a lot of management consultants to say, what do you think of uh-huh. it look like? <laughs> How do you think we should go? You know, I notice that if a sportsman suffers an injury, he goes to a lot of physical therapists and you know works at, uh-huh. figures out what exercises to do and how to change his game a little bit to improve that injury. And yet, marriage for some reason it's somehow shameful if we end up going to a therapist, which just seems to me to be bonkers because it's something that you've invested so much of your money and your life into. It is a chief source of happiness. So why would you not want it to be as good as it can be? And if there is an issue which comes up, which is likely, let's face it, then why wouldn't you want to seek expert help? And yet somehow this is a shameful thing. So I try to address that. Okay, and I, and I want to talk about that more in just, a, in just a minute, but I need to remind people that this is Happily Ever After. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with journalist and author of the book Marriageology, Belinda Luscombe, about how to make marriage last. And if this is something you would like to know more about, I encourage you to get in touch with me and take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can reach me by telephone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I. Don't put an E on the end of it. Thanks, Mom at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, and it's in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. And now I want to get back to this conversation about how we make marriage last. And so going back to that conversation about, you know, um, I've, in all my career, you know, I've, I've talked about, you know, that therapy is a four-letter word. And I actually live in the southern United States, and it's really a four-letter word down here. Because it's like there is this stigma that somehow getting help for our marriages, we're seen as a failure. I mean, and you were talking earlier about all the parenting books, and I never would have had an issue. I mean, I remember, um, I don't think I could have potty trained my son without the help of his preschool teacher. (laughs) You know, it was like, how do you do this? And nobody seems to have... You know, nobody, nobody seems to have an issue with asking a friend, well, how can you get your child to sleep through the night? Or is this, or is this normal, you know, or you go to the pediatrician and you ask, you know, is, is my child developing normally? But for some reason, you know, we, we say I do, and then we go into this black hole, and then, you know, nobody knows what goes on, and then some of us come out okay, and other people end up divorced. I mean, even if you look at, like, you know, um, books and movies and stories, it's, you know, they, they live happily ever after. They ride off into the sunset. And then the next time you see them, they're in the War of the Roses. They're having, you know, these horrible fights. You never see 
marriage. And I tell people that a good marriage from the outside is as boring as it can be. It's not boring on the inside, but from the outside, you know, there's no drama. So it's not going to make a good story. But how how do we help people with this? How do we get through this? Well, I, to your point, I'm, I'm always very amused by a current trend. When we decide to get married, one of the first things people do is they engage a wedding planner because it would be too much of a lift to plan this party all by yourself. You don't know what you're doing. You need a little help. You've never done it before. And, yet, and, then, and then once we've had the party... We then think, okay, now we're on our own for this, for the next. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like, you know, just telling, te- having someone teach you to d- dive in the pool and not bothering to ever learn to swim. I mean, it's, <laughs> I it's love just, that yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, I, I, the other analogy I like to use, it's like buying into a high-stakes poker game and spending like 10, 20 grand to buy into a high-stakes poker game and then trying to figure out how to play. Like, why would you do that? You know, you, it's definitely something that you can get some help with. Um, I, I would take issue with one thing you said, which is I do think that we do have in the modern culture representations of marriage. Because I used to feel the way you did, and then I talked to... Uh, uh-huh somebody uh, actually a, a you know a, a director of, of romantic movies and he said uh-huh. if you look at if you look at television if you look at like married with kids or modern family you know there is the representation of what a marriage is like like this sort of episodic thing it's sort of mm-hmm. in the background it, we do have representations of it but they are not um, you know they they and those people do have problems I think and I, I just yes, so, do. so I do I do think that you know the culture does not do a terrible job of showing what a, what a marriage can be like but it does not and and indeed you know has started recently there's in treatment there's you know recently it has begun to sort of portray what um, therapy might look like and uh, you know Laurie Leibovich's uh, Laurie Gottlieb's book has been very successful mm-hmm. um, the therapist book so it's it is out there but I think it's yet to trickle down to a lot of people of course I live in New York City where therapy is everybody's second nature so you know it's not uh, yeah. it's, but it's usually personal or group therapy people even here st- still don't really cop to marriage therapy that often well, and, and part of the challenge, I mean, and, and you know, being, being both a marriage therapist and a marriage coach, I understand that because it is a challenging thing to do because you've got three people in a room and two, you know, and, and you know, you've got, it, and to juggle that for, for a therapist or, or, or a coach, they really need to know what they're doing. Um, and this is one of the things, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many people who've come to me and, you know, they said, you know, the last therapist or the last counselor, and I just put my head in my hands and like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, please right. don't do that. But, I mean, but it is this idea that somehow, and, 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 I, and I know that in the book that you had talked about um, going to therapy with your husband, and, you know, and a lot of people think that they, that, you know, that the idea of somebody suggesting getting outside help is somehow meaning they failed or they're doing something wrong or they're bad. I mean, it ha- all has a negative connotation. But you were talking about sports, and I, I believe that LeBron James has five different coaches. Exactly. And nobody, right. and nobody is going to look at that man and go, 
oh, he's a terrible basketball player. It's like, no, he has these coaches, so he stays at the top of his game. Right, and there's and there's also, you know, uh, I think it's Gottman or a lot of therapists that I talk to for the book, and I talk to maybe I don't know. It, working for Time Magazine, it's not that hard to get people to return your calls. It's one of the um, right. advantages. But so I talked to Gottman and a lot of the top therapists, and they and one of the things they said was a lot of times people come too late. You know, they instead of going to physical therapy, if I can uh, use that analogy, where you've injured mm-hmm. yourself and you're given exercises, they wait until the wound is so bad that the only person that can help them is the emergency room and so sort of drag themselves into the emergency room and that's what they you know they're on the you know the 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 relationships on its last legs and they expect it to be able to be rehabilitated and sometimes it can and sometimes it can't I'm not saying you should never go but I'm just saying and especially I think it's interesting that you're a marriage coach because I I think that sort of marital education classes can also be very useful for people I mean you know sometimes they feel awkward and mannered I think, but often, you know, it just is an excuse to sit down and focus on your relationship and how important that is. Well, and, you know, I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, that people not necessarily being happier when they got divorced. I mean, and I would have people you know, say to me, it's like, well, I'm so expensive, and I want to say, have, do you understand the cost of a divorce? I mean, not forget just what the lawyers charge, but everything else. And, you know, it's like I'm going, okay, this is about a long-term investment. And, you know, and, and like you said before, you people hire a wedding planner to plan the day. But the right. idea of having somebody to guide them through the course of marriage is crazy. But also in the book you talk about um, some, some, about, uh, some about the expectations that people put on marriage today. And why can this be problematic? What's, well, what's going on? I think the first thing that we need to talk about is that horrible chimera, the soulmate, that you would find your soulmate. That you complete me. Ah! Yes. So, so, like somehow you have located in all the world the one human being who is perfectly suited to you and you have bonded with that person and you've persuaded them to bond with you, it's just the, the likelihood of that is so small that, I mean, I, I wish we could get rid of that idea that once you find somebody, then all the problems are solved. Then you, you know, you have found your other perfect jigsaw piece. This does not mean you can marry anybody. For goodness sake, you know, choose carefully. Be, yes. be very wise about and, and discerning and careful about who you choose to, to spend your entire life with. But I think it's crazy to expect this person to complete you, as you said, or to always make you feel like you are actualized. No. Right. And that there's never that there's never going to be any it's never going to be any friction between yes. you. Yeah, it's right. like that's exactly. not that's not the way it works. Yeah. That's okay. okay. And the second thing is I think as, you know, in my parents' generation, if you if you wanted to have children, you had to mm-hmm. be married. If you wanted to be a respectable member of the community, you had to be married. If you wanted to have sex with somebody, you pretty much had to marry them. If, there are so, if you were a woman and you wanted mm. to uh, have um, money, like, you know, be able to, to, live, to, yeah. mouth, to live, you need to be married. If you were a man and you wanted to have, you know, any kind of family or home, you had to be married. All those things have changed in the space of a generation. You can have sex without being married. You can have children. You can have a home. You can, there every single part of that equation. So all of these sort of reasons we used to have 
to get married have sort of gone. So why do people still get married? And I think the expectations are that people still get married because it makes them a better person of themselves, that they will, that a that a, a a spouse is like some combination of sort of nurturer, sex pot, chef, and personal life coach. That makes <laughs> yeah. that makes you just the best you you can be. Um, and for some people, I have to say that's true. I, I, I certainly do believe that I am a much more interesting person having married my spouse than I was before. He just sees the world so differently and the more I listen to him, I think the more interesting I become. But that does not mean that um, that that's his job. That's sort of like a, a side benefit. So I think what we go into marriage expecting is this life of bliss and this uh -huh. sort of transformational experience where we become a better us. And as you mentioned before, this sort of state of permanent happiness, which it sh should it ever dip, we think, well... Wow, what, we made you know, a mistake. We made a mistake. This person is is all wrong for me, and I, I guarantee the person that you marry will be wrong for you in some ways. Um, it would just be and at some and at some points in the and at some times exactly. And you know, it's 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 the decision that you make or what you're going to do with that. The other thing I think people don't realize and sort of forget is that that love is, a, is not a sort of passive verb, it's an active verb, that you make yeah. the decision to love somebody, that you make, the, that you, make a, you know, a dozen decisions every day that are on whether you're going to love somebody and whether you're going to put them first and whether you're going to try and figure out what they need. Like that is, love is actually something that you do, not something that you have or are. It's not a state of being to be in love, or it is for a while, but it's not right. just that. To love somebody is to actually act on that. So I think um, that gets back to sort of stuff we were saying earlier. So I think, you know, our expectations, which, as you are right to say, are largely set up by sort of movies and eHarmony mm -hmm. and, and songs, uh, <laughs> do not match up necessarily with the reality. And it's what you, how do you negotiate that, the sort of what marriage actually looks like which is I think at the one time more interesting and nuanced and at the other time not as sort of dreamlike and um, fun as everybody thought it would be when they maybe decided to get married. Right and I want to address one more point before we run out of time and it's this and, and there seems to be this idea and you were talking about it a little bit about how marriage has changed over the years that I mean, and, and as we've seen, the age of marriage is, is inching up um, because it used to be that marriage was this step, like you said, if we wanted to have children, if we wanted to have sex, if we wanted to have a home, it was tied to this concept that, you know, that marriage was a way to get those things, and now it's almost like we have to have all those things, and then we can get married. Is this view that marriage is kind of like the cherry on top of the sundae as opposed to the ice cream in the sundae? Right. And some really interesting work done by the sociologist Andrew Churlin on this, that, that the marriage is the sort of capstone of the arch, that you can't get married until you are sort of professionally successful, you've finished your education, you know, you know what your life is doing. And I think there's a, it gets back to money a little bit. People do not like to get married if they're financially insecure or if their spouse is financially insecure or their putative spouse is financially insecure. They want 
want to know that they can look after somebody and they want to know that that somebody also doesn't need to be desperately looked after by them. It's a sort of where there, I think... Uh, there's a there's a sociologist called Jean Twangy who talks about this sort of individualistic age that people are much more um, they're less about community and more about ind- you know individual responsibility and individual rights and I think people feel like well I need to be able to look after myself but I also do not wish to be teamed with somebody who's going to drag me down and that didn't used to be the way people fought um, largely I think well not just largely but partly because you know women's um, a- avenues for employment were very much curtailed so it marriage necessarily meant that so Mm -hmm. um and i think you know you're right the age of marriage is inching up people are generally i think uh uh, want to live together before they get married as a sort of dry run even though the studies actually show that it doesn't lower um, the rate of divorce or hasn't to date Mm -hmm. yeah and i I think i think um one of the important points to make about that is that when you the when you you can get a lot of the benefits of being married to somebody by just living with somebody and loving them and making them, um, you know, treating them as your partner for mm-hmm. many, 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 you know, for a lifetime of years. My my brother is has been with his um, his partner for years. They have two children together and they are as married as I am to my husband, even though they've never had a ceremony. But there exactly. is there is something about saying to somebody, I want you to be my partner. And there is something about making that decision and then making it in public that I think is sort of significant. And getting up in front of people and saying, this is the person I've chosen to spend my entire life with. I'm going to tie my fate irrevocably to them and I want you all to know that. There's something right. about even that that if, I think is helpful. Yeah, and, and even if that person is just the justice of the peace. I mean, you are making a public declaration. Right, right. And, and this is an, and this is a point that, that I talk about with my clients, well, with anybody who, with it, who's within earshot that the word marriage shows up and then I just kind of go off. Um, that marriage, I tell people, even though, and I know that you're a writer, you're never supposed to modify the word unique, but marriage is the most unique relationship that exists because it's a combination of every other relationship we're in. It's a friendship. It's a legal, it, you know, it's a contract. It's, you know, it's, it's a sexual relationship. You, it's a family. I mean, it's a friendship. I mean, you name it, it's a roommate. It's, it's everything all in one. Right. And, that, and to me, that's what makes it so exciting. It's also what makes it so challenging. Right, exactly. I mean, there's a, one of the, one of the uh, um, I guess, writers, academics about marriage that I like. It's a guy called Scott Stanley. I think he's at the University of Denver. Oh, I love that. Uh-huh. And, and he has that great concept of sliding, not deciding, or that, that you should not, itch, you know, when you're living with somebody, then you shouldn't just slide into this because it seems like, eh, well, that's where it's going. I don't know. I'm not going right. to resist. You should actually right. decide. And when you make that decision and you say, this is actually the person, this is, this is the one I'm going to, you know, going to bind myself to, then mm-hmm. I think that is, you know, that actual proactiveness of that makes, the, it makes your, it changes your thinking and the thinking of those around you enough that you sort of have a different attitude about, about making it work. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And Belinda, I'm so, we could talk about this for a long time, and I'm so excited about your book, and everybody, please go read it. And Belinda, will you please tell people where they can find it? <laughs> okay, the book is called Marriageology, The Art and Science of Staying Together. And if you have a local bookshop, it may be there. I always encourage people to go to their little local bookshops. If not, it's available on all the major websites, Amazon and so on. Please, if you read it and like it, or even if you don't like it, please leave a review. I would love that. And is there is there any place else? I mean, do you because you write for Time? That's so. correct. Right, you can read me at Time Magazine pretty much every week. I also you can follow me at on Twitter at Luscombland where I write. I tweet about all sorts of things about relationships and current affairs. And I think um, you can find me on Facebook just by searching my name. Or I'm very public there. Yes, actually, yes, you can because I found you on Facebook. So, <laughs> so what I want people to know is, as we've talked about before, your wedding day is just the starting line for your life together. Marriage goes through life and developmental stages just like children do, and becoming aware of which stage you're in and, more importantly, how to navigate it will help you to hang on to love and to create a successful marriage. And hopefully one of those things that you'll do to create a successful marriage is to keep listening to this show. So until next week, stay loving.